Dana Falconberry has performed at big-name festivals, including South by Southwest. The New York Times called her music gentle yet intricate. And in 2013, she played an NPR Tiny Desk concert. She rode horses, rode two horses down from Leland. Sunday morning, tired and torn, horse was all we saw. A couple summers ago, the northern Michigan musician and artist got some difficult news. She was diagnosed with breast cancer. And as she underwent treatment, she refocused a little on visual art, and it helped. That's this week on the Up North Lowdown from Interlochen Public Radio. I'm Ed Ronco. We'll visit Dana Falconberry's studio in Leelanau County a little later in this episode. And of course, we will round up some of this week's Michigan headlines for you. But we begin with a story about solar power and churches. Some national organizations are trying to get more houses of worship to install solar panels, including here in Michigan. To learn more, IPR climate reporter Izzy Ross takes us to church. It's Sunday service in Charlevoix. People are gathered in the small, one-room building of the Green Sky Hill Indian United Methodist Church. There are hymns in English and Anishinaabe Moulin. At the pulpit, Pastor Jonathan Mays is leading the service. In between reflections on scripture, Mays touches on an important church venture. We have another Sacred Spaces Clean Energy Grant check-in with EcoWorks, who is doing the planning for all of our energy upgrades so that we stop feeding uh, harmful gases into into our environment. He's briefing the congregation on their upcoming solar project, which will be installed on the roof of their community building. Houses of worship across the country are pursuing these projects. The Berkeley Lab says about 2% of houses of worship in the United States have solar systems. Compared to other non-residential buildings, that's disproportionately high, according to Interfaith Power and Light. Now, Interfaith Power and Light might sound like a local utility or maybe a prayer group, but it's actually a national network focused on climate action and religion. You know, in the public conversation, I think we've kind of failed to see the leadership that people of faith and conscience are taking on these issues. Leah Wistie is the director of Interfaith Power and Light's Michigan chapter. She says these kinds of projects rely on social connections. In the early days of solar, Wistie says many of the congregations they worked with wanted to hear from others before pursuing projects. And she says they can be risk averse. They don't want to be the first to try something, and they are collective stewards of, of resources, and they, they want to be really responsible. These solar systems can also be tough to finance. Because houses of worship generally don't pay taxes, until recently, they couldn't capitalize on renewable energy tax benefits. But that's changing. The Federal Inflation Reduction Act has made it possible for nonprofits to get cash back for renewable projects. That will help cover some costs, and solar advocates say it's critical. You gonna take us on the roof? This is pretty much it. Rob Raffson has worked to put solar panels on churches for more than a decade. It's been a very big challenge because churches tend, you know, they're nonprofits, they don't have budget, they don't want to borrow money. And the size project, even though this is a fairly big one, 
is, uh, uh, is too small for investors to invest in. We're outside the First Lutheran Church in Muskegon. A new solar array shines on the roof. It's one of the projects of Michigan-based nonprofit Solar Faithful. Rafson helped start Solar Faithful about a year ago. He wanted to focus on making it easier for houses of worship to adopt solar by financing and guiding those projects. We can walk around the other side of the building and I'll show you what the energy that's produced by the solar panels are collected into strength. He's explaining how the power gets from the panels to the church. The project means the church needs to buy less power from utilities. That's expected to lower their energy bill. By purchasing the solar-powered energy, First Lutheran will pay off the project cost of around $175,000. By buying power from their own array, they're slowly paying back their investor. Once that's done, the power that comes from the array is essentially free. Many people working at the intersection of religion and renewables say these projects are an opportunity for more people in those communities to learn about solar. They're hard to see. They really are. You'd have to know what you're looking for. That's where they're located. You can see that it's on about half of that uh, roof up there. Pastor Bill Utrecht says First Lutheran got involved with solar when a couple in the congregation gave the church two panels they didn't know what to do with. And I said, wait, we'd take them and see if we could figure that out, how to uh, make them work for us. And I contacted a cousin of mine who works in alternative energy, and I said, hey, send me to some place where I can do something with these two panels. They got in touch with Solar Faithful. Utrecht says installing solar panels on the church roof is one way of fulfilling their mission. And what we say is that the world is not ours, that the world is a gift. And if it's a gift, then our call is to care for it. And it's clear that we haven't been caring for it very well. And uh, old technologies have contributed to that lack of care. So it only makes sense that we would be at the forefront of encouraging alternative energy sources. In other words, practicing what they preach. IPR climate reporter Izzy Ross. Her work comes to us through a partnership with Grist. One more story Izzy reported this week that we wanted to note for you, and it comes from the village of Elk Rapids. If you've never been to Elk Rapids, first of all, it's beautiful. Secondly, you should know that it is surrounded by water. Elk Lake, Elk River, East Bay, we have Bass Lake as well, Birch Lake. So we have a considerable amount of shoreline, both on lakefronts and along the river edges. The voice of village manager John Matthews there. Elk Rapids is hiring a new position called a Shoreline Management Coordinator. It is part of a new state program called the Michigan Healthy Climate Corps. The goal? Well, it's to get more people working on projects that will address climate change. They're partnering with 30 communities and organizations across the state, like Elk Rapids, where protecting the environment is of paramount importance for the community, says Manager Matthews. This is not something that anyone that lives here takes for granted. We love our beaches. We, the people in this community, uh, we welcome visitors with open arms. We want to share the blessings that we have. The person selected for the job in Elk Rapids will serve an eight-month term in the Climate Corps. The Up North Lowdown will return in a moment. This new year, LifeKit wants to help you succeed because everyone needs a little help being human. It can seem so overwhelming. You're not alone. Who can I commit to being? If you want to do something, then just do it. Just take that first step. Great advice every week. Listen to LifeKit from NPR.
At the bottom of Lake Huron, there's a ridge that was once above water. 9,000 years ago, people and animals moved across that ridge. But when the lake rose, signs of life were submerged. Archaeologists thought they'd probably never find artifacts from that time. Until one day, a team did, with some unusual help. We get asked as archaeologists, like, how'd you find a site? Or like, how did you know where to dig? And for me, I can be like, oh, well, like, artificial intelligence told me, (laughs) you know? Next time on Points North, how AI caribou are helping find ancient artifacts. That episode of Points North is now available. You can listen to it wherever you're hearing this podcast. Welcome back to the Up North Lowdown. Let's spend this part of the episode with Dana Falconberry. The accomplished musician grew up downstate in Michigan and now lives up north. In the summer of 2022, she was diagnosed with breast cancer. And as she underwent treatment, Falconberry turned her focus to visual art, which she says helped her process the fragile dance between life and death. IPR contributor Leslie Hamp visited Falconberry at her studio in Cedar for our series, Fresh Coast Creatives. This is my machine. This is Dolly. She's a Singer chain stitching machine, I think from 1951 or so. And it looks like a sewing machine, but it only does chain stitch embroidery. So it doesn't have a bobbin. And you have this crank underneath that guides the needle. So I'm basically freehand drawing with thread. So it's very fun. That's Dana Falkenberry in her art studio in Cedar. It's an open space with her Singer chain stitching embroidery machine set up at one end of the room and a large painting table at the other. When things are really flowing, I will be working on one or two paintings. And then as those dry, I'm stitching something else over here. And it's just this really great workflow where one thing is informing the other. Dana was a musician and chain stitch embroidery artist in Austin, Texas for almost 20 years before moving back to her home state of Michigan in 2020. During the pandemic, she'd hiked the trails at Sleeping Bear Dunes and vividly remembers the day she stumbled upon an unusual white wildflower called ghost pipes. They look like fungus, but they are not. They are actually flowers that don't contain chlorophyll. So they're bright, bright white when they're in their prime, and they don't use energy from the sun. They draw energy from both the mycelium and the roots underground. They are known to be a very healing plant. They're known to be an ally for times of transition, including mortality, which I have (laughs) been faced with recently. Dana became obsessed with painting and embroidering ghost pipes after an out-of-the-blue breast cancer diagnosis in June of 2022. Stitching them, painting them whenever I could in, in my treatment process really, really helped get me through it. In the summer, ghost pipes stand white against everything that's dark in the forest. And in the winter, they become a spindly brown stalk surrounded by snow. Up until my diagnosis, I was really interested in this glowing white version of the ghost pipe in its prime, coming out of the forest, like surrounded by the detritus down below, the dead leaves and everything it has to push through to get to become this glorious white glowing thing. And 
The moment I was diagnosed, that completely changed for me. And I started becoming really interested in the dead version of the ghost pipe. Dana started painting and embroidering the living and dead ghost pipes together. You know, it was just me grappling with mortality. I had something that was going to kill me inside of my body, and that's a hard thing to hear and a hard thing to deal with, but I had to face that, and I had to, I really had to grapple with that, and this was my way to do it. Her ghost pipe creations became a much-needed distraction from the physical and emotional turmoil and grueling treatment. As she painted and stitched through fear and confusion, her artistry changed. This piece here, which was done after my diagnosis, was, I mean, I didn't even know, I, w I had no idea what I was going to do when I started doing it. And it was much more organic, much more, I'm much more interested in just what happens in the process of it than the perfect end result. Perfection is not on the pedestal that it used to be for me. And it actually has helped me. I just feel a lot freer in my artistic process than I ever have been. I think it's 100% due to my diagnosis. Dana says she's been surprised by her new direction. Well, I think I, I wasn't doing these paint stitches until I moved in here. And I think that having the space, the, the physical space to be able to paint over here and then stitch over here has totally informed my, the art that I make. And, and then recently I've been songwriting in the gallery space. She says diving into her art and music has been transformative and healing. When you're faced with, with something like cancer, you just, you take stock of your life and what's important to you. Then you have to go through this really intense period of rearranging your life to fit those new priorities. And I am deeply mired in that right now. So it's not, the, I, it's not easy. The, none of it has been easy, but I do think that it, is, it can be illuminating. Dana showed a series of her ghost pipes at an art opening last spring at the Cedar North Gallery. Two dozen painted and stitched pieces on paper and linen lined the walls. Five embroidered fabric pieces, each about five feet tall, swayed in a semicircle in the middle of the gallery space. The swaying fabric pieces created a performance space where Dana performed new and old song lyrics. And that was really magical. That felt really, really good. Leslie Hamp brought us that story for our series, Fresh Coast Creatives. Support for Fresh Coast Creatives comes from the Northwest Michigan Arts and Culture Network through an award from the Michigan Arts and Culture Council, connecting arts, culture, and our creative communities. Okay, let's see what else is making news this week in Michigan. Governor Gretchen Whitmer was up north this week speaking to attendees at a policy conference in Traverse City on Friday afternoon. Whitmer delivers her State of the State address this coming week. During a visit to a UAW hall in Detroit, she said people should expect her administration to focus on pocketbook issues this year. Now, the governor was not very specific about her plans, but did say they do not include a reduction in the state income tax. 
They're about to start building a new Amazon distribution center in Gaylord. The building will cover about eight acres in the Gaylord Industrial Park, just west of I-75. It is possible Amazon could also add a facility just south of Traverse City. The Seattle-based e-commerce giant isn't officially listed on any documents submitted to government agencies, but the ticker reported this past fall that the plans match those of other Midwest Amazon facilities. Michigan has just hired its first-ever malacologist. I'll say that word again, malacologist. It's a biologist who studies mollusks like mussels and clams, and it is the first such position within Michigan's Department of Natural Resources. The department plans a two-year project, including centralizing everything we know about mussels in Michigan. Scientists hope that will give a clearer picture of where good native mussels overlap with invasive ones like quagga and zebra mussels, which cause big problems for our ecosystem. Recent snowfall and cold temperatures mean ski resorts in northern Michigan are finally able to get down to business. More and more of them were opening lifts this week. At Shush Mountain, snowmaking crews were working on trails near the Red Lift. Mount Bohemia on the UP's Keweenaw Peninsula relies only on natural snow and just opened for the season on Wednesday. That'll do it for this week's Lowdown. We had contributions this week from Izzy Ross, Ellie Katz, Michael Livingston, and Leslie Hamp, our producer is Max Copeland. I'm Ed Ronco. Music is by Blue Dot Sessions. And we make this podcast at Interlochen Public Radio. Rate and review us through your favorite podcast app. It helps people find us. And we'll leave you this week with a little more sound from that church in Charlevoix. You'll know this Christmas carol if uh, you want to follow the Ojibwe words and music. The words are on the screen. We're going to sing our best phonetic Anishinaabe Mawin. Do your best. Oh, Thanks for listening. Have a great week. Video games are full of partnerships, of companions coming together to overcome challenges that are too big to take on alone. This week, we'll meet some duos who range from lifelong friends to more unlikely allies. I'm Keith Brown. Join me for the music of dynamic duos this week on Gameplay. You can stream full episodes of Gameplay on demand and view playlists at GameplayShow.org.